Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Outstanding. We did it today. That's good. <laughs> Let's just keep this one forever. We should stop the episode now. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here again. Um, I got to ask. I know you're both in IT. Um, how nerdy are you? Pretty, pretty nerdy. Excellent. <laughs> Rafti, nerd chat. I, I, it's so hard to say. I don't know. And I think in my generation, it's hard to be extraordinary nerdy. I think this is in my generation, just the general being like, yes, but I think it's I, I, I in you. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> you just All have right, to so be nerdy. Quantum <laughs> physics. Quantum mm. physics. How much do y'all know about quantums and who wants to talk about what a quant is? <laughs> I know just enough to be able to understand Neil deGrasse Tyson when he talks about stuff, but that's that, that that's very superficial level. I, I can't even pronounce Neil deGrasse Tyson, but okay, go, go <laughs> ahead. Give us your superficial understanding, Matthew. Uh, so quantum physics is the physics of the very, very, very small and has to do with things on a quantum level, which is b beneath the size of atoms, definitely beneath the size of molecules. It's the things that make up uh, atoms, uh, getting down uh, like even b beneath uh, uh, quarks, which we thought for a long time was the smallest thing. Now, quanta or quantum stuff is uh, uh, all the physics that defines how all that stuff works. So um, things get very strange at that at that very, very, very small level. They They don't work in a... Uh, intuitive way, I'll say that. Excellent, excellent. I like that. Rafti, anything you want to add there? No, no. No, he did good. That was like science. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Matt. All right, gold star today, Matt. Um, so now here's the, the reason I bring this up. Quantum computing. Ooh. All right. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> now, Matt explained quantum physics really well. Rafti, do you want to try quantum computing or no? Yeah, I can. I can try. Yeah. Go for so it. As far, as far as I understand it, the utilization of um, up, up until now, the states that we understood was that there can be a yes or no. And basically, as far as I understand with quantum computing, we can create a third state that's sort of like neither. Um, Excellent. Where Excellent. and this opens up, of course, uh, a lot of computing um, like paradigms that we don't understand yet. Because for us, it's either like it's almost like, uh, as far as I got, uh, like I, I think from a mind perspective, when we're in a post-quantum world, uh, it will be like the invention of the zero. I, I don't want to go <laughs> yes. off onto a too far of a tangent here, but the concept of nothing has, for the longest time, been like from a mathematics perspective, very like out there, like how can there be nothing? Uh, and for us now, it's just like, of course you start like by zero. If you talk to people in the, like nerdy people, you, you, you say the first 10 digits are zero to nine, you know, yep. we would not think of starting with one, you know, Excellent. Start with Excellent. zero. And so Good. I think with post computing, it will, uh, with quantum computing, it will go in a similar way. We cannot imagine it at the moment, or at least I can't. Uh, maybe people who are way out there already understand this very deeply. But from my perspective, I'm like, okay, well, if we're there, I think it will get, we will get used to it. But from now we're looking sort of like, well, 
it probably will be like that. <laughs> Absolutely. See, and I love where you went with that because the difference between my generation and your generation is going to be microscopic compared to the differences between your generation and subsequent generations in a post-quantum world. I think it's almost quasi-singularity, the impact it will have, the, the way it's going to change the way we interact with our, our world and with each other. Um, and I'm going to go a little bit further on, on nerding out on quantum computing. Uh, computing today is based on electronics. There's a circuit, and the circuit can see one of two things. Is there an electron present in the circuit, or is there no electron present in the circuit? Yes or no, one or zero, on or off, right? And with quantum computing, as you were both intimating, we can examine more states beyond just yes or no, whether the electron is there or not. We can see the spin of the electron, the charm of the electron. the And there are all these characters, I'm not making those terms up either. Those are terms that physicists make to show that they have close to a sense of humor for being nerds. And uh, <laughs> what this does is it changes how a computer can fundamentally process data because instead of being binary, one or zero, which is very limited, instead you could have one to 16 different states on a single bit and a bit is the the smallest element of data being processed at any given time so when we go from one or zero to one to 16 possible options for every bit we're not just escalating the amount of data that can be computed we are exponentially exploding on a, a massive logarithmic scale how much more data can be done in a single bit and that's again we can't the three of us can't even wrap our heads around what that might mean or how fast those computers would work now here's the next question what does that mean for security nerds why would really 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 fast computers kind of mess with our heads and our profession right now well the biggest reason is we are computationally bound uh, on a security level, because things like encryption are done based upon how much work you have to do to to a encrypt or b decrypt, or if you want to to break an encryption, how much work it takes to break that that that, that encryption uh, algorithm. Absolutely nailed it. Work factor. Work factor is how much time would it take to try all the possible keys for a given cryptographic solution using commercially available processors, right? Right. And that's great. We can we can gauge that with our current binary processors and we can create some pretty good work factors. I, I I'm trying to remember what the AES two fifty six work factor is. I think it's something like hundreds of trillions of years or something like that. Uh -huh. uh, and I forget exactly what it is. And and that's great for modern processors. But when we go to quantum processors and it blows away all of our currently commercially available processors. The work factor of breaking an AES-256 encrypted item is going to drop to minutes or seconds. And that's going to mean that everything that was encrypted with current crypto systems can be decrypted very easily by someone who shouldn't be able to decrypt those things. <laughs> uh, so from a security standpoint, we're going to be screwed once quantum becomes commercially available. Theoretically. And, uh, <laughs> and like ahead, we Rafa. talked in the last episode, like when you when we're talking about those times as well, uh, we're talking about live decryption, 
like you can almost read stuff that's currently being sent through and encrypted with those sort in of real things. time. Yeah. Yeah. From a security perspective, uh, one addition is, of course, storage is, uh, has become fairly cheap. So, of course, um, I think the topic why you want to talk about it today um, or the direction we're going for is um, all the data that's currently being sent can be stored. And, of course, quantum computing is scary and we need we are thinking about it now because all this stuff that's currently being stored can easily be decrypted um, as soon as, as quantum computing becomes available. And so all the information that's currently being sent, very secure from from current standards, as you said, like how many thousands, I, I whatever, but it's like very long time then, or a lot of my, a lot amount of money you would have to spend on AWS servers or something. Um, uh, I usually saw, see these figures as uh, presented as uh, money, like how much money yes. you would have to throw at the problem, not yep. work hours. Um, but um, from that perspective, like this will become cheap and this will become fast. Um, and storing data is not expensive at the moment. So, yeah, so <laughs> but the, I didn't want to jump the gun here. No, no, you got it. You got it. Exactly. The, the advantage would go to the attackers for mm. a while anyway. So we're trying to step out ahead of this. We're trying to p- perceive what that world would look like and how do we secure a world where those things exist. Luckily, um, as you mentioned, nerds in our security field are already working on this. And um, our good friends at NIST have put forth this effort over several years. Uh, who wants to explain what NIST is? <laughs> got no, 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 no. You're shaking like, your head think... and raising your hand at the same time. <laughs> no, it's no, no. either raise your hand or shake your head. Okay. All right. I think I, I would be more familiar with ISO, but yes, I yes, have no yeah. clue about NIST. <laughs> to- totally understand. And NIST is basically the ISO of the U.S. just because we got to be different. NIST is the National Institutes of Standard and Technology. It's a federal government agency that makes computing standards and security standards for other federal government agencies in the U.S. Um, it is uh, the kind of neat thing about it is it, everything they do is open source because it is government published. Therefore, all citizens, everybody can use it. You can go to the NIST.gov website read any of their standards. And if you want to apply them to your environment, you can, you don't have to pay anything. Unlike ISO, which gouges you even to read one of their fucking standards. But, okay. (laughs) So, and and I got to say, I am strangely a NIST aficionado. For government publications, (laughs) NIST pubs are written very well. They're understandable. They're coherent. They're usually getting to the point. They're usually seen as comprehensive and useful to the industry. Um, So that that no one's more surprised than me that I actually respect NIST. Um, (laughs) They also open themselves to public comment before they publish something. So it goes through a draft. And everyone can look at it. It's a collective cooperative uh, procedure. And they've had some innovative. What's that? Very cool. I mean, last time that we talked about a government paper, you were ripping it apart. I think it was the the monkeypox. Yes. Can my pet get monkeypox? And uh, yeah, and they've done some innovative approaches to crypto in the past. For instance, when they were selecting the advanced encryption standard, AES, they did something revolutionary. They had an open competition where they said anyone from anywhere who can bring us 
uh, a good, strong crypto system is going to win the contract. And we'll give you a million dollar award for bringing this to our attention. And and that was pretty cool. They they let the market behave the way it's supposed to and encouraged um, free and open competition, which was really cool. They've done a similar thing now with quantum cryptography. That is crypto systems that will be resistant to quantum computers, which I think is pretty cool. How does that work? I have no fucking clue because I, I the last time I did math, I think, was high school. Um, and uh, I, I've forgotten all of that uh, blissfully. Um, so we I, there's an article that I, I will enclose in the show notes that we've all looked at in terms of the links. Uh, who wants to, to break down what NIST has come up with? Matt, you want to try it? Sure. Um, so... NIST uh, has looked at all of our existing um, encryption standards and and how easily they would be broken using a theoretical quantum computer. And I think that the standard that they used was 6,000 qubits, if I remember correctly. I'm going back through it. Oh, 4,000 qubits. that sounds right. Uh, or, or, yeah, 6,000 qubits. So NIST basically said, okay, if we have a theoretical 6,000 qubit, which uh, is the, the, the measure of uh, capacity of a quantum chip, if we have a, a computer that has 6,000 qubits, how quickly can it break uh, our existing encryption standards? Um, and then on top of that, what would we need to do to change the standards or what new standards would we need that would be resistant to a 6,000 theoretical qubit uh, computer. So all I'd say, we don't have a 6,000 qubit computer currently. No, um, it's hypothetical. It's hypothetical. But that being said, IBM is apparently trying to, or, or on target to create a 4,000 qubit computer. They all claim that years. it's all right around the corner. Right, or right, right. Google, <laughs> uh, Honeywell. I mean, everybody yeah. says, oh, we've got one. It's, it's just about to be commercially released. Yeah. <laughs> right, right after right. self-driving cars. And AI and uh, and, uh, and yeah, the personal fusion. airplane, yeah, uh, flying exactly. cars, yeah. So uh, yeah, and and it's important to note that yeah, we don't have that capability yet. And and my thing with quantum computers has always been one of three things is going to happen with quantum computers. Either a, uh, nothing is ever going to come out of it. Uh, quantum computers are there's a real possibility that there is no future for quantum computers because it's just too hard to do. It's it's unstable. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to, to to program even if you have them. Uh, so that's one. And, and a qubit chip actually has to be cooled down to right. near absolute zero, right? I mean, it's right. yeah. There's yeah, all kinds yeah. of considerations. Yeah, this isn't something. That, yeah, uh, you're not going to have a quantum computer uh, in your iPhone or on even in a case under your desk as a desktop computer. These are unless all very... you, unless you wear a very thick glove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I, there, there's a real possibility nothing ever comes to quantum computing. The other, uh, one of the other three options is it will proceed uh, the way that they're expecting, which is that it'll make incremental advances over time so that maybe in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, we will have, you know, the, these uh, 4,000, 6,000 qubit computers that, that may actually be useful at that point. Uh, B is, or, or uh, C, the third option, though, is Quantum computing could accelerate much, much quicker than we ever anticipated, in which case uh, planning for a 6,000 qubit computer could be woefully underestimated. We could have, you know, 600,000 qubit computers in 10 years if some great technological advancement is made. And so all of these standards are completely thrown out the window <laughs> because yeah. we, we just didn't, we, you know, we have no idea where quantum computing is going to go. 
Absolutely. I, I like that. That's a very pragmatic view of it. Yes. <laughs> and I think that most of us in the security field are really hoping for option A, that quantum computers just never go anywhere. <laughs> but unfortunately, it would make our lives easiest. I mean, <laughs> not that we're Luddites, but, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyways, yeah, all that being said, so uh, NIST did a competition for um, uh, encryption algorithms that would be resistant to a theoretical 6,000 qubit computer. And um, one has been chosen for sure. And then there's three others in addition to that, that um, I don't think that they uh, uh, said that they, they chose them, but they are in, in, in the finals or, or in the running of it. Good, good, excellent. And um, they list out the four in the article and um, there, there's some links to, discuss, to, to discussing a few of them. Um, the, the one, the one that caught my attention, the, the ostensible winner is what it's called crystals Kyber. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that from star Wars? Yeah. See, okay. <laughs> and the other one's crystals dilithium. All right. So is that from star Trek or yes. That... So this okay. is what I really wanted to talk about is even when we're trying to do like this high tech, very serious approach to science and math. Nerds got a nerd, and we already have the Star Wars versus Star Trek universe. You know yep. they can't even name shit without. <laughs> but but notably, the the Star Wars one is the standard currently, and the Star Trek one is just the uh, the candidate. <laughs> Which is kind of how you know Star Trek evolved from Star Wars, or, or maybe you know depending on how you look at the popularity and when it occurred, the right. TV copy of the Star Wars universe, but um. Yes. And, and, and I don't want to get too meta, but you know, if it is quantum computing and we're like actually setting up alternate universes, could it possibly be that the life imitating art where we took the nomenclature from literary or media inputs like Star Wars and Star Trek are going to lead us to the Star Trek and Star Wars universe where those names are consistent because we're naming that stuff now? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. You're, you're projecting a little you, you, you've been listening to a little bit too many conspiracy theories <laughs> but no this is this is pure nerdism uh, i mean this is this you know this is how this is how time loops and all that okay anyway uh, yeah, yeah anyway so yes yeah, so there's these four it's uh dilithium kyber uh sphinx and um falcon, falcon correct and they seem to suggest that they're going to be resistant up to and beyond those 600. And there's a couple that have been put in, that have been implemented already. Kyber's been implemented in Cloudflare's crypto and Amazon's crypto, right? Right, um, yeah, on the uh, TLS 1.2, it is now, uh, Kyber is now available as an encryption algorithm. Um, so, so you could conceivably, today, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, make sure we get the download, uh, buy us a liter of gas, by the way, and um, go and, and check the box to implement the Kyber uh, quantum-resistant uh, encryption algorithm for your TLS on your web browser. And mm -hmm. that would mean that all of your current traffic that's being harvested by the NSA will be <laughs> resistant for the next 50 to 60 years. That, you know, I, you know right? Maybe, and maybe yeah, forever. Maybe perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe perhaps uh, only for 10 to 20 years or maybe yeah. forever. Yeah, you're right. Um, and did it mention, I didn't really understand, again, I, you know, the the math baffles me. Does it mention the work factor that Kyber would create against a 6,000 qubit 
chip? Um, the article that you sent us did not say anything about what the work factor is. It's uh, so it's, uh, and and I don't have any idea what they considered to be uh, uh, resistant. In other words, uh, does does it have to take a hundred years to break it, or does it have to take fifty years, or does it have to take ten thousand years, or whatever? Right. Um, right. Yeah, the article, and, and and because you sent the article literally 15 minutes ago, I didn't have a chance to go into any kind of a deep dive on, what? <laughs> on this stuff. What? Come on, Matt. I expect better from you. <laughs> but in that regard, maybe, um, as I said, with work factor currently, what we are mostly uh, also talking about is money, just because we have so many computers um, that you can rent uh, with binary capabilities. But with quantum capabilities, what you were saying, like they have to be cooled, they're probably not too easy to build. Um, and so cooling stuff that deep, it costs a lot of money right from the get-go. And building multiple of these, it's just not that easy. So this, the, the, like from a work factor perspective, maybe they're only opting for 50 years. Maybe they're only opting for 10 years. Because to keep this one like device you have running for this, for decrypting this one thing for for like more than 10 years just for this. I mean, this better be a very important email and it better be very important in 10 years still, you know, I mean, this is the stuff we're talking about. So maybe it's not like from work factor perspective, not as important just because availability, we can assume even if we are progressing into that direction, if we're not having, like, if we're not willing to build multiple nuclear power plants or something like that for each, like, of one of these computers, um, or I don't know, um, as we were talking and joking earlier about fusion becoming a thing, like f fusion energy becoming a thing at the same time, there is just like from an energy perspective, this is just horrible. And so you like, you will probably be not running this computer to decrypt files like on a large scale um, regularly. So yes, and, and, and I think that's worth stating is that work factor could be measured in time or could be measured in money. It's anything that has, you know, that, that finite constraint, which is why I always say when, when I talk about crypto in classes, everything we talk about work factor is limited to non-nation state actors. The minute mm -hmm. we get to nation state actors, ignore all your work factors because they have the wherewithal. They have the resources to break anything. You're just, if you're going up against a nation state, you're screwed anyway. Um, so yes, if it's just the email between Alice and Bob, where they're planning one of their illicit assignations, hopefully the nation state isn't going to bring that energy to bear to crack that email. It's going to be something more important, right? Hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, that, or as I was um, like hinting earlier, I think it will be mostly used for live decryption and encryption, especially in the early days when nobody else knows that you have that capability. Um, I think this is oh, what it will be used for in the beginning. That, that, the, that's probably pretty apt. Point. Yeah. As, as the intermediary, when you're the first to not first to market, but first to use with that new tech. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I think you don't have to uh, like re-encrypt your whole hard drive. Like with, um, I would opt the, for the dilithium, of course, as somebody who's like a Star Trek. That kind of guy. Um, uh, I will not go and re-encrypt everything I have. Um, the thing I found, the thing I found really, really interesting, at least in this article, and again, I, I don't really understand all the math, 
is part of the competition reviewed existing crypto solutions and they said AES will still be sufficient against this qubit machine as long as you extend the keys a bit. So maybe, you know, they, they keep calling it AES 256, but 256 is the key length, but they said longer keys. So I don't know if they mean like AES 1024, 2048, or whatever the hell they're talking about. And then they said that the current hashing algorithms, the 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 big ones, what is it, the SHA-3 and the... Mm-hmm. SHA-256, yep. SHA-256 will still be sufficient as long as you have a longer message digest. Um, that kind of blows me away. That means that whatever we've come up with so far to base our current crypto solutions around has been based on some pretty good forward-thinking math. Um, yep. that's impressive. That's impressive. In theory, as in, we said. In theory, yes, exactly. Now, Not I have had students, yet. I have had students who've been better at math than me, and they explained that at a certain point, encryption and decryption becomes unfeasible anyway, because the amount of data you would have to process and the amount of electrons you'd have to use would exceed the number of atoms in the universe. I don't yeah. quite understand that. Uh, and that freaks me out a little bit, and my brain hurts trying to wrap itself around there. Um, but I can kind of see what they say is that at, at a certain point, the calculations become so large that you just you don't have anywhere to put the data. There's no RAM that's big enough to, uh-huh. to do that calculation. Um, so we may end up at a physical limit of what we can encrypt and decrypt. And we may need to find another means of providing confidentiality to information um, or other ways to secure it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm all for that, <laughs> whatever happens to come around. Unfortunately, the, the system of, of encryption and, and decryption and encryption algorithms has been uh, pretty much linear since, uh, gosh, since World War II. Uh, y- you know, uh, the Enigma machines and stuff like that. There's, there's, you know, we, we've gotten to bigger keys and we've gotten to longer, well, longer keys and, and better algorithms. But in essence, encryption in 2022 isn't that much different than it was in 1945. So. I, and I would say the 1800s or the 1700s. I mean, it, you know, we're still using SP boxes. And simple substitution and permutation haven't changed since right. the Caesar cipher or, you know, ROT 13. It, it, we just keep getting bigger and bigger guns. We're not actually changing the fundamentals. And I think from a security perspective, we've become so dependent on encryption. At, it, it's in our DNA from security, you know. Uh, we yeah. become so reliant on it that it's sort of a one-trick pony, and I'm afraid that it's a single point of failure. I would like to find mm-hmm. new ways of providing confidentiality. Something innovative and creative, as opposed to just bigger math. It's almost like uh, you, 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 you know, there, there, there might be a book out there that talks about how uh, privacy needs to just go away altogether. Uh, gosh, who, who, who wrote that book? Oh man, you know, okay, all right, but, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would see, I would see a post-confidential world as kind of being beneficial, but, but that's just me. All right, um, let's see. Uh, how much time do we have? We got to make this a little short. I actually have to teach today, which is ridiculous. I can't believe students want me to work. Um, do you? All right. <laughs> just, just as a closer, I want to throw this one out there to, to establish my own nerd cred. Quantum computing 
will give us computational power way beyond anything we currently have, which could open the door to certain things like teleportation. Really? Because if all we're talking about is large math problems of scanning atoms on one side and replicating those same atoms on the far side, you could just have a 3D printer, uh, (laughs) you know? Taking you apart one atom at a time? Wait, Oh, boy. And, And we go further with that, and you get into um, spooky entanglement, which is another Mm -hmm. quantum property that was... uh, 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 Yeah, yeah, spooky action at a distance, where one atom and another atom separated by miles react Mm -hmm. or or, 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 uh, uh, do the exact same thing at the exact same time. You touch one, the other changes, even though there's no physical connection to them. And right. and this was a hypothetical that Einstein put out, and I think it was demonstrated by the Chinese about five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, between Beijing and a craft in orbit, which mm-hmm. that, that just, I, again, my brain hurts when I try to wrap it around that. Um, so there are potentials here that quantum computing would unlock, I think things that would otherwise be inconceivable. And the other one is the the best one and the one that I really liked when I was nerding out on the on the privacy book, the time viewer. I don't think we'll ever have a time machine, but mm-hmm. we will have the capacity to look backwards in time by looking at all the current states of all the atoms in the universe right now and then calculating the possibilities of the incidents that preceded them. The same way that you would look at the skid marks on a road and the eventual crash of the car and calculate how fast it was going and what angle it came from. You could do that with everything and you could see what has occurred before, including sounds, motion, you name it. (laughs) Right? So you're saying, well, how how is any encryption going to help us in that regard? Oh, like... it well, oh, there's no way. You, you can't. You can't you can't encrypt the past. Can't stop the signal. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it would be really neat because we could go back in time. We can't go back in we could look back in time. We could see, hey, there really was nobody on the grassy knoll. Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, and we could we could establish all of these things and find out the answers to the past and hopefully use that to inform the future. And you think this is <laughs> and you think this is where the money is going to put it? I don't know. I think that for history, I'm, I'm saying this is a very cool idea. I'm just saying, like, the sad thing about, like, humans is that investing in stuff like this just is not something we usually do. I think Lofty. we will. It's going to start with porn. It's going to start with voyeurism. (laughs) It's going to start with people looking back at Catherine the Great's behavior and viewing (laughs) what she was doing in her personal life. That's how it's Mm. going to start. You know, that's the money. That's where all the money is going to come from. Pornhub is going to have its own time viewer way before anyone else does. (laughs) Then the researchers who want to see what happens to blue whales, that's going to come after, after the porn funds all the research. Come on, man. 
<laughs> oh, okay. So we're veering off into the fringes of uh, quantum theory and possibilities. With <laughs> so, oh, this is this is how every technology has uh -huh. progressed. Every single one. Yeah. Cryptography. What I see. Cryptography as yeah. well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cryptography. You know it was created by diplomats and spies so they could communicate about who to hit on. <laughs> think? Where, where were the best brothels in Constantinople? I mean, come on, this you know, who's currently dating Matahari? You know this is what they were talking about. Okay, so I'd see I would argue that this is information still and not born in particular, but I, I see where you're going. Um I I give you that. Uh, <laughs> porn is just information, Rafti. It's either information, <laughs> it's either pixels on a screen, or it's, you know, a, a color palette applied to magazine pages. Come on now. You know this. Data is data. All right. With that said, and now that we've we've finally connected quantum to porn, uh, <laughs> I think it's time to call it a day. I got to go to work. Um, uh, thank you both. This was outstanding. Uh, anything you want to add uh, upcoming in the, the coming week? Anything you want to advertise? I'll, uh, the, only, the only thing I will say is uh, after you're done listening to this podcast, go download Security Unfiltered with Joe South because I appeared on that and it just dropped um, t t today in real time. But uh, uh, whenever this actually gets out to the world, <laughs> I don't know when that'll be. But uh, go, go, yeah, go listen to uh, Joe South. We talk about uh, computer forensics. Outstanding. Cool. Now, were you the only guest on the show or were you like the third guest? And he goes, we got this guy and this guy. And we got man. <laughs> Bumped for time. Sorry. Uh, no, I was the only guest. Yeah, he and I actually sat down and talked for uh, about an hour or so. So, yeah, it was, it was a good, uh, good talk. Excellent. And Joe's great, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah. Good. Rafti, you got anything you want to promote? We are updating quite a lot on our homepage. So on Safing.io, you can always have a look. But I think we are going to update a lot more in the coming weeks. So if you, maybe in two weeks, yeah, when you listen to this, uh, probably we have changed our homepage quite a bit. And we are talking better about our secure network. I think, I don't, I, I think we are, of course, using the SHA-256 encryption for our tunneling, <laughs> um, but we might even be using Kyber at the moment as well because we're, we're developing it in Go and um, we even have like interactions with Google developers who, who had a look uh, because we were using their libraries and stuff. Um, and um, yeah, we are not actually like thinking that <laughs> quantum computers will destroy everything, but um of course, like good encryption, if it's feasible, if it's doable, um, and usually encrypting is easier than decrypting, of course, if you have the key and everything. So <clears throat> might as well uh, yeah. use the no. best if the best is available, right? Exactly. Exactly. Nothing's so, too good for safings customers. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So by, the t by the time you're listening to this episode, go to safing.io and check out the new homepage and all the updates. It's a teaser trailer, teaser trailer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and download the app, um, the yes. Portmaster. Yes. Get better privacy. And um, yeah, DNS uh, encrypted with TLS. Um, so the, the Cloudflare encryption we talked earlier built into the Portmaster already. So. Outstanding. Do you also right. use DNSSEC? No. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair we enough. we built we are building our own 
like TLS tunnel to connect to Cloudflare uh, separately. So, good. yeah. Good. Excellent. All right. Well, then, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec.